Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Good morning, Canton Church. As Pastor Jeremy just said, my name, whoa, there it is. My name is Trevor Hyman. I'm the student and volunteer pastor here at Canton Church, and I'm so excited to have the opportunity to speak to you today to conclude Our Heroes, a super fun series this morning. Over the last several weeks, Pastor Jeremy has done an incredible job of pulling out his inner nerd and talking about two weeks ago Superman and talking about Mercy that week, and then last week he talked about Batman, and he talked about, what did you talk about last week? I wasn't even here. Mercy last week, justice the first week, that's right. Hey, go to the podcast. If you missed either of those weeks like I did last week, check out the podcast. You can go to cantonchurch.com, view all of our media there, or iTunes, search Canton Church on your podcast, and check those out. We would love for you to be able to do that over the next several days or weeks. But today, as I conclude our Heroes series, I've been given the topic of humility, and it only made sense when Pastor Jeremy was putting together the sermon calendar as he's figuring out what we're talking about what week and who's talking about those that week. It only made sense to me that he chose me to talk about humility and not himself as he struggles with being a humble person. I'm totally kidding. That's not true at all. He's incredible. He's super humble. He actually posted already, like, talking bad about me, how I said that in the first service. But that's okay. I can handle it. But as I was thinking about talking about this topic of humility, as I was talking, thinking about in my own life, where am I humble, where am I not humble, how can I be more humble, I started thinking through ways and areas and situations of life that humility might come up. And I have an incredible wife. She's sitting right over there on the third row. And she is amazing at encouraging me and uplifting me and saying kind things to me. So it's not a rare occasion for me to have like five or ten times in a day where she just says something nice to me. Like, hey, you're, you're a great husband. Or, hey, thanks for marrying me. I'm so glad we got married. Or, hey, you look great today. Or, hey, you worked so hard. Or, hey, thanks for providing for us. Like, she says those type things constantly, and it's amazing, and I love it, and I love her for it. But usually, and I know I've only been married for like 18 months, so I know I have a ton to work on, guys, but I should follow that up with, no, you're awesome, or I'm so glad I'm married to you. I get that. That's what I should do. I usually respond with, you're right. I am awesome. (laughs) Or she'll say, like, I'm so glad that we got married, and I'm like, you're welcome. Like, I know that I shouldn't do these things, and maybe it's out of a lack of humility, or maybe it's just my internal sarcasm that comes forward in everything that I do. But I know I shouldn't do that, but that's usually the response that I have. So anytime I'm going to talk about her from the stage on a Wednesday night when I speak to our students, or when I get the opportunity on Sunday morning, I always do, I do this correct. I always ask her permission first. Hey, are you okay if I say this? And she said, well, so I asked her Tuesday night at dinner, I said, hey, are you okay if I talk about you Sunday morning? And she said, well, what are you going to say? And I said, well, and I told her what I just told you guys, how she's super kind to me, and she always encourages me, and I come back with a dumb answer. And she goes, yeah, I'm totally fine like that. You're, you're the one who looks bad in that situation, not me. And so I was like, awesome, thanks. And so I got up, I walked out of the living room, walked back into the kitchen, and I kind of heard her behind me say, kind of thought you were going to talk about how humble I am. And so, like, I don't know, maybe today's sermon about humility is only for Lauren and I. Maybe we're the only not perfectly humble people in the room. I'm just kidding. You're perfect, Lauren. I love you. 
But today we're talking about humility. In all series long, we've been looking at a scripture, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. If you could throw that up on the screen, guys. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, that was week one of the series, and to love mercy, that was week two, and to walk humbly with your God. That is our topic tonight or this morning, rather, that I'm so excited to have the opportunity to speak to you about. A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go on a Thursday morning to Teasley Middle School. It's a middle school right around the corner from this location here, Canton Church. And I had the opportunity to speak to their FCA. And that's, that particular morning, there were like six or seven students from Canton Church that were there that are part of our Wednesday night student life services. And it was so cool to be able to be with them. They've been wanting me to come for a while, and I finally was able to work it out. And there were about 60 to 70 students in this choir room, and it was awesome. Being in the public school, talking about Jesus with that many students, it was so cool. I love those opportunities to get in the school and do those type things. But that particular morning, I felt like God had pressed on my heart to talk about a specific thing, a specific topic. And so that's what I was doing, and I was talking about King David, or rather, he wasn't King David yet in the story that I was talking about, but the same guy, the same guy, David and Goliath, the same guy, David and Bathsheba, the same guy, David, man after God's own heart. That's the David that I was talking about that morning, and that's the David we're going to talk about this morning. And as I was sharing that morning, I really felt like God was opening my eyes to a part of the story, a part of the story that I've heard hundreds of times, but I was seeing it in a different light, and I was seeing it through different eyes. And a different aspect of it kind of jumped off the page at me. Anybody ever read something in the Bible that you've read tons of times and you read it another time and just something different jumped off the page? I love when that happens. It's so cool when that happens. And that's what happened while I was sharing with those students this morning. So this morning, we're going to spend the majority of our time together in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you've got your Bible, if you've got a smartphone, you can flip there. I'm reading these passages out of the NIV version. So if you want to follow along, I know on the smartphones it gets to let you choose which version that you want to read. But the story, a little prequel of what's going on here. David, prior to him being King David, his dad's name was Jesse. And David, like most kids do when they're growing up, they lived with their parents. And so David lived with his father, Jesse, and he did what his dad had asked him to. And in today's terminology, if he lived in today's world, Jesse would have been a farmer. That's what we would have classified Jesse as. He had animals, he had land, he had property, and this is what he and his family did in order to survive, in order to live in that day and age. And so David, like most farmer's kids did, worked on his dad's farm as he was growing up. And so David went and he took care of sheep day in and day out. That was his role. That was his job. That was his duty. And that's what David did. And if, I don't know if you've ever spent any time around sheep. If you have, I don't know why you've spent any time around sheep. But sheep aren't the smartest animals. They're actually kind of dumb. And so David went and he took care of the sheep and he made sure they didn't fall in holes and he made sure they stayed near water and he made sure they stayed in grass or fields with good grass and they moved when they needed to move and nothing came and killed them like lions and tigers and bears oh my. And so this is what David did all day long. Well, as this is going on, and David's living his life being a sheep herder person, shepherd, I guess, is what he would be considered. I don't know if he had that title yet. But David was doing this. Well, while he was doing that, outside of his life, outside of his story, there's another story taking place. Currently in 
the nation that he lived in, Israel, there was a king named Saul. And Saul was the king, and, and God came to a prophet named Samuel and told Samuel that Saul's family was not going to continue and inherit the kingship over the nation. And that Samuel needed to go out, and he needed to find and anoint and appoint the next king to be the king. And so this is what Samuel does. Now, I know we're in a political season right now. It's all I see on my Facebook feed. It's crazy. It's everywhere. But imagine with me, if you would, and I'm not going into political talk today, so don't get up and leave because you think that's where I'm going. Please understand that's not where I'm going. But imagine, if you would, we live in a country today where I get to go and you get to vote, go if you're over the age of 18, and you get to cast your vote, you get to cast your opinion on who you think would be the best president in the United States. Imagine, if you would, you were the only person that had that choice. Now, some of you in the room, you're totally okay with that. You would be great if you got to make the only choice and only your voice mattered. But that's what Samuel was facing here. God came to him and he said, I want you and only you to go out and find who the next king's going to be and I want you to anoint them king. That's crazy amounts of power. So we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and I'm going to start reading in verse 4. It says, Samuel did what the Lord told him. When he came to Bethlehem, the leaders of the city, trembling with fear, greeted him and said, May peace be with you. Greetings, he replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Perform the ceremonies to make yourselves holy and come with me to the sacrifice. He performed the ceremonies for Jesse and his sons, that's Jesse as in David's father, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he saw Eliab and thought, certainly here is in the Lord's presence is his anointed king. But the Lord told Samuel, don't look at his appearance or how tall he is, because I have rejected him. God does not see as humans see. Humans look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. I absolutely love that line that it says humans look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Basically what's going on here, if we can simplify it a little bit, is Samuel is doing job interviews. He's going and he's gone to Jesse's house and he's asked Jesse and all of his sons to come together. And he's job interview. He's interviewing them for one of them to become king next. And that's a big deal. And so here comes Eliab. And Eliab walks in. And I got to imagine that Eliab was one of those like leaders among leaders. He was the tallest, best looking, most fit leader guy that walked through the door. And when Samuel saw him, he's like, that's got to be the guy. Like it was probably one of those moments where like all of his brothers like didn't do something until Eliab did it. And like he could just instantly tell that he was the leader of the family. This is who everybody looked to, the best-looking guy in the room. Like, nobody went to the buffet until Iliab went to the buffet. Like, that's when you knew it was okay to go, because he went and did it. And so Samuel's like, that's got to be the guy. This is our guy. This is our next king. And that's when God oppressed upon his spirit and said, no. See, all you can see is the outward appearance. All you can see is who he is on the outside. But I can see his heart. And his heart's not in the right place, and his heart's not set him up to be equipped to be king. So the interviews continue. Eliab came in, then Jesse sent in Abinadab, and then Jesse sent in Shammah, and then he sent in seven more sons. And time and time and time again, Samuel's like, well, is this going to be the one? And God would remind him, humans can only see the outside appearance, but the Lord looks into the heart. He's not the one. Well, this happens with all of these different sons, and I've got to imagine that Samuel is probably a little frustrated. He came, met with Jesse, said, Jesse, bring all your sons here. I'm going to pick the next king. 
Jesse did that. He met with all of them, and none of them are the king. And this is where the story picks up. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 11, it says, Are these all the sons you have? That's Samuel talking to Jesse. They're still the youngest one, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send someone to get him. We won't continue until he gets here. And Jesse sends somebody out to go get David out of the field. It's interesting to me that earlier it said that Samuel was meeting with Jesse and all of his sons, yet somehow David wasn't in the equation. David's out there taking care of sheep, out there minding his own business, doing what his father had asked him to do. While all of this is going on in the house, he's out there. Kind of reminds me of when Cinderella's evil stepmom allowed the two sisters to go to the ball, but Cinderella had to stay back home. Like, why couldn't David be at the party? He's out there taking care of sheep. They send for him. He comes in. Samuel meets with David and says, you're going to be the next king. And that day, that night, and that moment, he anointed David to be the next king of Israel. How amazing would that must have been. So in the same chapter, just verses below, it's kind of a break in my Bible. It was a new header and a new story. But in the same chapter, just right below where David is anointed to be king of Israel, there's a story where Saul, who's the current king, is being tormented by dreams at night. He can't sleep. He's wrestling. He's tossing and turning. And he goes to his, the people that work for him in his kingdom and says, I need you to find me somebody that's really good at playing music, that can come in when I can't sleep at night and play some soothing music to relax me. And they're like, okay, well, we'll find somebody. And they come back to him and they say, hey, we've heard that Jesse has a son who's really good at playing music. And he says, okay, send for him. And in verse 19, remember I just read in verse 16, or verse 11, so this is right after that, it says, Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Now wait a minute. David was just told that he's going to be the next king. That's a pretty big deal. And eight verses after what I just read, so just moments later in Scripture, it's talking about how David is out with the sheep. Now, maybe I'm the only person in the room that would think this way, and if so, like, you're all better people than I am. But I have to imagine that if I were in David's shoes... The morning after I had this moment that I'm anointed as the next king, I would have gone and I would have had a conversation with my dad that would look something like this. I'd have walked in and I'd have been like, listen, dad, like me and those sheep, we're tight. Like I love those guys. Like they're my boys. Like we get along great. We hang out all the time. They laugh at my jokes. Like it's awesome. We've got a good thing going. But listen. Like, I don't know if you remember last night, I was told I'm going to be king. It's going to be awesome. I think Eliab's a little mad at me and he can beat me up right now. But it's going to be okay because someday I'm going to be over him. I don't know if you remember that last night, Dad. But I think, I think I might be done with the whole sheep thing. Like, here's my two-week notice. Like, I'll keep working the next two weeks and helping you with the sheep. But I think I'm going to call it quits and just kind of chill out until I'm going to be king. I mean, like, why would I want to go and I want to take care of sheep? I've got a good thing going for me. Maybe I'm the only one in the world that would have thought that way. But I probably would have gone and I would have quit. Because I'm going to become king. And maybe, or maybe Paul in the New Testament puts it best. And I think this can apply to, to where David was in this moment. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 6. 
He says, if I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. I think that's exactly where David was in that moment. David could have boasted. David could have gone to his dad and he could have said, hey, I'm done. I quit. And I don't think his dad would have been mad at him. I think he would have got it. Like David's going to be king. He's kind of a big deal. Why would he want to go take care of sheep? Continues on, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Or maybe this quote from John Fisher makes the most sense. It says, David wasn't thinking of being king when he was taking care of sheep. He was just doing what the Lord sat before him. David had the moment where he became king, or became anointed to be king. And he had that moment the next morning where he probably thought, do I really want to go do this? I kind of became a big deal last night. But in his mind, I think David really got it. He understood that he was placed on this earth to do what God had placed before him in that moment and worry about what's coming down the road, down the road. And so David chose to go and to be a humble servant in his father's house. In the story of Captain America, the first Avenger, if you've seen any of the newer movies, you'll know what I'm talking about, you'll know what I'm referencing in the newest movies and the new line of the Avengers, in the very first Captain America movie, we're introduced to a guy who's young, who's scrawny, who gets picked on and beat up constantly. And in this story, it's set during World War II, and he wants so desperately bad to go and to fight and be a part of the cause and to help out and to do the right thing. And so he goes... And he applies and he, he tries to get recruited into the army. And he goes to recruitment center and they turn him down. Can't meet the physical qualifications. He's got too many health problems. He's not big and fast and strong enough to go and to fight alongside the old, other soldiers. So he's devastated. He wants to so desperately go back. And he goes to another one and he gets rejected. And he's done this tons of times in different recruitment centers. And there comes a scene in the movie where he's standing in a recruitment center with one of his friends who's about to get deployed. And he's standing there and they're having this argument. And he's talking about how desperately bad he wants to do it for the right reasons. He wants to go and he wants to help and he wants to make a difference. And someone overhears, and the person who overhears this conversation is a doctor. And he's the doctor that's working on a special project. Later in the movie you find out that that is to create chemically Captain America. So this doctor overhears and he comes and he asks him to be a part of this special initiative. And so then the movie transitions to him being in what looks like a boot camp setting. And him, and it's all of these guys that look like your typical soldier. The biggest guys, the fastest guys, the guys that can run the furthest. The guys that are the best shots. The guys that are the best leaders. And this scrawny little guy who got in because of something that was overheard by a doctor. And so there's a moment in the movie where the, the guy that's over this whole unit pulls a pin out of a grenade and throws it into the middle of these guys. He's the only one that knows that it's a dummy grenade, and he yells out grenade. And everybody scatters to hide, except for one guy. The scrawny little Captain America, 2B, jumps on the grenade to protect everybody else. 
And in that moment, he is selected to be Captain America. There's a clip in the movie that we're going to watch in a moment of a conversation that takes place the night prior to his procedure taking place. Take a look at this clip. May I? Yeah. Can't sleep? Get the jitters, I guess. <laughs> Me too. Can I ask you a question? Just one? Why me? I suppose that is the only question that matters. This is from Augsburg, my city. So many people forget that the first country the Nazis invaded was their own. You know, after the last war, that my people struggled. They, they felt weak, they felt small. And then Hitler comes along with the marching and the big show and the flags and the... And the and he, he hears of me, my work, and he finds me. And he says, you. He says, you will make us strong. Well, I am not interested. So he sends a head of Hydra, his research division, a brilliant scientist by the name of Johann Schmidt. Now, Schmidt is a member of the inner circle, and he is ambitious. He and Hitler share a passion for occult power and Teutonic myth. Hitler uses his fantasies to inspire his followers. But for Schmidt, it is not fantasy. For him, it is real. He has become convinced that there is a great power hidden in the earth, left here by the gods, waiting to be seized by a superior man. So when he hears about my formula and what it can do, he cannot resist. Schmidt must become that superior man. Did it make him stronger? Yeah. But there were other effects. The serum was not ready. But more important, the men. The serum amplifies everything that is inside, so good becomes great. Bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen. Because a strong man who has known power all his life may lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. Thanks, I think. Good becomes better. Bad becomes worse. I think that that's a lot of why David was chosen by Samuel. You remember Samuel would have, if it was up to humans, if it was up to just Samuel, he would have just chosen Eliab right off the bat because he looked like the best leader in the room. The captain, the guy that was over selecting the person to become Captain America he would have never chosen the little scrawny guy. He would have chosen the best-looking soldier out there because of his physical abilities. But what the doctor just described, what the doctor just said, is it's not about the physical. This would change that. It's about what happens when good 
becomes great. And I think that when David was chosen to be king, that's what God was seeing. God was looking on the inside. God was seeing his heart. God was seeing that he was a humble servant out serving his father. Bring him in. Because I want to make good become great. If you know me at all, if you've ever heard me speak, and I know the students know this better than anyone else in the room, I'm a super practical person. So I love to give you practical steps that you can take, practical applications to your life anytime that I speak. And so today, I'm going to do that through looking at three ways that we can do a better job at walking humbly. The first way that I think that we can walk humbly is to worry more about what is on the inside than the outside. Captain America was chosen not because of his physical stature. He was chosen solely based upon the fact that good would be exemplified to become great. David wasn't chosen because he was the best-looking, smartest, biggest, strongest brother. He was chosen because good would become great. And I think in our lives, Canton Church, if we would worry more about what's on the inside and truly shaping our character and truly molding who we are and truly allowing a God to work on our inside and not worry as much about what people are thinking of us, then I think that we could become or move from good to great. A takeaway question from this point is if you were selected for the things you do solely based upon the inside, would you still be selected? The job that you have, the relationships that you're in, the positions that you hold, the places that you serve, the places and the people and the ways that you lead, if you were selected for those solely based upon what is truly on the inside of your character, would you have been selected for those positions? Man, when I thought of that question after I wrote it down, I almost wanted to delete it because I didn't want to ask myself that question. Because that's a hard question. And that's a question that as I stand on this stage, I'm not here to tell you that I've got it figured out and I'm not here to tell you that I'm perfect. I'm here to tell you that I have the same God that you have that allows me, even though I mess up, even though I fall, he extends grace to me and allows me to serve and allows me to lead and allows me to love even though I mess up. But that doesn't change the fact that it's a hard question to ask myself. It doesn't change the fact that since I wrote that question down on Tuesday morning, I haven't wrestled with it daily. And I've prayed to myself, God, make me about changing the inside. Make me about making my heart for you and not worried so much about what people are seeing. On the second takeaway, in order for us to walk more humbly, I think that we need to do what's right. I found this quote from Ezra T. Benson. It says, pride is concerned with who is right, but humility is concerned with what is right. See, for Captain America, doing what was right his entire life looked like just standing up for the little guy, even though he was the little guy. I made reference a minute ago, but if you've ever seen the movie, you've seen how before he got bigger, faster, stronger, he got beat up all the time, pushed around, because he constantly stood up for what is right. And I think if we apply that to our own life, if we look to try to do the right thing and not worry so much about what everybody else is thinking, 
then I think we can look a little bit like David. You see, David was a humble servant in his father's house. That while all of his brothers were there getting selected to become king, he's out taking care of the sheep, doing what he was asked, minding his own business, doing the job that probably no one else wanted to do because it was the right thing for him to do. Takeaway question for this one is, are you more concerned about doing the right thing or the thing that gets you recognition? I think so many times in my life, I come to this crossroad where I have to choose, do I do something because I'm going to get noticed for it? Or do I continue to do the things that I'm just supposed to do whether I get recognition or not? I don't think that David, when he was standing out in the field, taking care of sheep, I don't think that David was worried about in that moment getting recognition for it, getting praised for the things that he was doing. But he was doing the things that he knew were right. The third thing that I think we need to do in order to walk humbly, is we need to serve. Now hear my heart, Canton Church. This isn't me as the volunteers pastor standing up here begging you to come to me after service and serve somewhere at Canton Church. That's not what this is about. Please hear my heart. This is about you in everyday life, you at home with your family, you at work with your coworkers, you in the grocery store, Wherever you are, whatever you do, how, wherever life takes you, this is about serving in those places. I found this quote from Gordon Hinckley. It says, being humble means recognizing that we are not on earth to see how important we can become, but to see how much difference we can make in the lives of others. You see, David never sought someone out to become king. He never filled out an application. He never went to a job fair. He was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing, serving humbly for his father. I've got to imagine, and I don't know if David knew or not, but what if David knew the whole time that this was going on at his dad's house? What if David knew that Samuel had come and Jesse had pulled together all of his sons and David standing out in the field waiting for somebody to come to get him and it never happened? I feel like if I would have been, and again, I know none of you would do this, it's just me. I feel like if I would have been that person, I would have probably found an excuse to have to go in the house. Forgot my water bottle. Hey, Samuel, my name's David. Great to meet you. I'm his other son. None of y'all would have done that. I get that. But I would have probably found a reason to have to sneak by the house. Forgot my lunch today. I'm David, by the way. But no. David stayed in the fields. David served his father. You know what? This is going on. It's okay. Because God's placed me here to take care of sheep in this season of my life. And so I'm going to stay here and I'm going to keep taking care of sheep. Until someone, until God calls me to do something else. But think, what if, 
What if David didn't know? Let's just say that, because I don't know that Scripture is incredibly clear of whether or not he knew this was going on until somebody came to get him. So let's take that out of the equation, because you can say, well, we didn't know, so it doesn't apply to me. Let's put you in the equation for a moment. What are the things that happen in your life where you have to make the choice? Do I stay here and continue to what, doing what I'm doing, taking care of sheep, the job nobody wants, or do I find a way to make myself visible over here so that everybody can see me? Do I stand in the background, waving my arms, hoping that I get recognized for the things that I'm doing? Do I come over here and I say, hey, I serve over there. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name's David. Pick me. I think in order to walk humbly, it starts with serving humbly. And in order to serve humbly, we have to serve where God's placed us to serve. A takeaway question for this point is, are you willing to put the needs of others before the needs of your own? I have no doubt that David, if he would have known, of course he wanted to become king. Who wouldn't? That'd be cool. But he put the needs of his father to take care of his sheep before the needs and the desires of his own heart. And I ask you today, Canton Church, as I close here in just a couple of moments, I ask you one simple question. Are you willing to take care of sheep? Are you willing to do the nasty task that no one else wants to do? Are you willing to go to the places that no one else wants to go? Are you willing to go after you found out you're going to be king and having a conversation with your father and say, Dad, I know this is what's coming down the road. How can I serve you? What can I do tomorrow? What can I do today? I just want to be a humble servant. I know sometime I'm going to have something different. But tomorrow, today, God, how can I serve you? And church, I ask you before I pray, are you willing to take care of sheep? God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for stories like this in Scripture that even thousands of years later, we can find ways to apply to our lives. And God, that's why I love the Bible. Because it was wrote so long ago, but it's so applicable to every single daily decision that I make, God. And so God, I pray right now for myself. I pray for every person in this room from the youngest to the oldest. God, I pray for every person in this room from the most humble to the most arrogant person in this room, God. God, for every one of us, we can become more humble. So God, I pray every one of us does that. I pray every one of us looks at, our, looks at ourselves and evaluates what's on the inside, God. And I pray that we all strive to be more like you on the inside. God, I pray that every one of us tries to do what's right more than we tried to do what's right yesterday. God, I pray every one of us serves. God, allow us to be a group of people that are willing to take care of sheep. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, 
we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 